Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, and uh, coming to you right from Cat Swamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. And I think I got the wrong chair here. This one's probably going to make even more noise. Well, I guess the mechanic in me has got to figure out some way to fix these Chinese chairs so they don't creak and make noise. But I don't think you could do that, right? I don't think anybody could do that. Because if it's junk, it is junk, right? But uh, that's what the way the world is today. So hopefully, God willing, you've had a very blessed and nice Thanksgiving. Uh, I am recording this, obviously, ahead of time, a few days ahead of time. And it is what they call Black Friday, right? The day after um, Thanksgiving. So I'm recording it on Black Friday. And... uh, I never was one watch to get into that stuff, Black Friday or what have you. But uh, interestingly enough, and I think it's an important take-home message for people in agriculture, is that um, even though we don't have a Black Friday per se, well, I guess harvest would be our Black Friday. Because I guess that, not I guess, the lore goes that that saying of Black Friday was when the retailers finally got into the black and why I think at that time of year, so with the sales for Christmas, that they would get into the black prior to that, their stores and their retail operations were not in the black, they were in the red. And why I think it's an important take-home message for us, because so often in agriculture, we do not look at other businesses. And if you look at it as if the law is correct at Black Friday, um, and when years ago in retails would finally start to go from negative cash to positive cash flow, well, that's the, basically most of the year they were in negative cash flow, right? If they needed that Black Friday to turn it all around. So why I think it's important is that we often look in agriculture and you say, oh, you know, this farmer's not making any money or it's not doing anything. Well, you're not going to make any money until you sell a crop, right? And God willing, you have a crop to sell. So without belaboring it, I think it behooves people to look at other businesses and not because misery loves company, but sometimes our expectations in life are not accurate. And uh, so if you had a big retailer chain and they're waiting for the Friday after Thanksgiving to turn a profit, then I don't think it's so terrible that we have to wait in agriculture to God willing sell our crop at a profit to make it to bring our uh, operation into the black, right? If I'm saying that correctly. So that basically is it. I Like I said, I was never won much for Black Friday. Uh, so and now they have Cyber Monday, right? So, I don't know. It is a different, different world. But uh, hopefully, God willing, that you had a nice Thanksgiving and, uh, and used it to be thankful and remember not about Black Friday, but just remember all the blessings that the good Lord has bestowed upon your life. And oftentimes we take them for granted and we all take them for granted. I mean, every breath, every beat of our heart is a blessing. So, and the breaths and beating of the heart of the heart of the ones that you love is even a bigger blessing to most of us, right? Because I know I'm more concerned with those I love than I am with myself. But that is that, and uh, interestingly enough, I just looked up before I knew that that wonderful <laughs> that wonderful mechanism, Google. Right? I just googled when Thanksgiving was 
before I put on the roadcast to record in 2017. And uh, so Thanksgiving in 2017 was the same day that it was this year, uh, November 23rd, if I'm correct. I'm going to turn around and look at the calendar. Yes, November 23rd. Of course, today was the 24th. And why that is important to me is because I will share this with you. And uh, it's no secret if you've listened to my show in with any continuity over the past few years is that my true love and my true other than obviously the lord is number one but and you know and my wife but as far as anything is my true love is for animals and then in 2017 we had gotten some chicks which i had called the trumpets and that was the first time <clears throat> that we had had chicks because everything else that i had was either adopted or a little bit older and uh, not to to go on for eternity with this but this all the my whole chicken deal started back in november 8th of 2008 when i was given a chicken that was stolen out of a chicken truck at the chicken truck at the truck stop in columbia new jersey the ta truck stop and i adopted her and took her home i called her emily she was uh, wonderful i had to teach her how to walk because sadly she could not walk because i guess she was confined i don't like to think about that too much but she was a wonderful wonderful girl and she started my whole chicken journey uh by god's plan for her life in my life i've only had her 360 days which ironically is a full circle right 360 days 360 degrees because she died uh i got her november 8th of 2008 and she passed away november 3rd of 2009 and but that started my whole chicken journey because we had to build the the, the area for them and then we had to get other chickens to keep her company which i called the cadet and so whatever so so you have a little bit of a <clears throat> foundational background to this and then <clears throat> uh the the but the impetus for me to always get more chickens is because i have one left out of the group and then i don't think it's right for the, the chicken to be alone so then you end up adopting other chickens and i adopted three rescue chickens and uh and I, I called them the jersey girls because they came from south jersey they didn't each one did not have a name i just called them collectively the jersey girls and then two of them passed away over time and then i had one jersey girl left so i had to get get more chickens and that was the first time that i bought chicks and i bought six chicks and i called them the trumpets because they were going to make the coop great again so what had happened was i got six little chicks and then we had the jersey we called we we, we called her eventually just called her jersey and uh i had three they weren't rhode island reds they were that type of chicken look like a rhode island red and then three barred rocks which are black black and have like grayish feathers and with them with the black so they're not black black so they're very pretty so uh, and i got three barred rocks and three of the others the red type because i want to be able to at least tell somebody apart from one another not all look the same 
So I only had three and three. But anyway, to make a long story short, on so they were born, the trumpets were born on April 15th, <clears throat> income tax day in 2017. And then by um, November of 2017, a little bit before that, they were already starting to lay eggs. And we had Jersey. But the one, and I named all of them, there was Melania, there was Digger, there was the inspector, there was the assistant to the inspector, and there was Bella, and let me see, there was Melania, Digger, the inspector, Bella, the insistent to the inspector, and sadly, there's one more. I that, that bothers me that I don't remember. If I should have, if I was off the air and was concentrating, I would know it. So, uh, uh, well, anyway, so we had we had six of them in New Jersey, and then what had happened was that on their pen that we I built with my friend Jake Matier, uh back when I got Emily, which was a girl I got from the truck stop, uh, was is fifty feet by thirty feet. So it's 1,500 square feet, and it's made like a teepee with cattle wire, and it's very, very nice. Uh, and there's four roosts in there, and there's a, what I call the Mar-a-Lago. We built a big, beautiful coop for them, and there are other coops. I mean, so they really, it, w- it was a nice, a nice enclosure for them. And I, the way I put it here was that they had a little bit of everything. They had shade. They had sun. I used to put the cover crop in there in the section rye grass so they had that they had some bushes they had a place to dig they had a place to sunbathe they had a place to hide in the shade when it was hot so it was like a little uh terrarium basically 1500 square foot for terrarium for six or seven chickens but anyway so and they really loved it they had good girls that heated water bowls whatever so anyway so what had happened was that on Thanksgiving 2017, the trumpets were only of you know seven, six, seven months old at that particular point. That Melania, who was one of my one of the girls, uh, she came off the roost and she outside came off the outside one of the outside roosts. They had four of them, and she had a bad landing, so she hurt her foot. So I came in the morning. Oh my God, Melania's foot is hurt. So this was back in 2017. So I took her in the house with me, and uh, we have an enclosed breezeway that goes to the garage. So it's an enclosed breezeway, and it has, a, and it has th- three or four steps to go down from the house towards to the garage. That's pretty big. It's, I think that's like 15 or 16 feet by 10 feet. So it's a nice little area, and um, it's got a nice floor on it and everything. So what happened was that I took Milani in, because it's heated. The breezeway is heated. It's not air-conditioned, but it's heated, and... Uh, so I took her in there with me back in 2017. So I wanted to, so I laid down on the floor with my feet down on the stairs, and we put a towel. We put a towel down for her, so I wanted to keep her company. I didn't want her to be frightened because she was never in the house before. So, so all of a sudden, Melania hobbles up and she wants to go on my chest. She's she's this is back in 2017, so she's. Uh, crying to go on my chest. So I got Melania, so I'm laying down. I picked up, put her on my chest. Well, what basically happened was that I had the wonderful experience of maybe six inches away from my face. I, I'm saying it, it's a blessing. I'm not saying it sarcastically. I had the wonderful experience of Melania laying an egg on my chest. 
So she was facing with her with her vent towards me. So all of a sudden, I saw her start to um, <clears throat> start to dilate and pulse, and then the liquid come out. It came out and then come out. Right, and then she laid a beautiful egg right on my chest. Then it was you know, most people think I'm crazy, but what a blessing, what a wonderful experience to see her. And I mean, literally, I was six inches away from her, from her vent, if even that, uh, and see the whole, see, watch the whole egg come out and uh, the whole experience. And she got better. So anyway, fast forward, um, I only had two girls left, uh, Melania. This is now current Melania and Tatiana, who which was another rescue. Tatiana's probably so Melania is almost seven years old, six and six years and nine months. And Tatiana, I would have to guess Tatiana is probably about nine or ten years old. Because she was two or three years old when I adopted her. And uh so well the other day Melania didn't feel well. And uh, the day before, sort of Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I said she was fine the night before, and they went to let her out of the out of the Mar-a-Lago, and uh, they said she didn't come out quickly, and uh, so anyway, so she didn't feel well. You know, I've been that drill before, and uh, it was so I was hoping that she would get better, but I gave her to the Lord, and on Thanksgiving morning. I opened up the, the coop, and uh, Tatiana came out of the Mar-a-Lago, but Melania didn't. She passed away. So I was, uh, it was a bittersweet Thanksgiving because that's why I looked at the calendar six years exactly to the day she laid an egg on my chest. And isn't that such a metaphor for life, right? She laid an egg on my chest, and that same, that same day she went home to the Lord. But... I pray for all of my animals, and I know that some of you do also, and I pray for all my animals, and, you know, the only thing that I could thought of when I found Melania passed on that morning is that how great, how how gracious and how faithful our Lord is, because for six years, for all my, for my cats, all the animals that I have, I pray for, and I, it's a very simple prayer that... <clears throat> that God will keep them safe and allow them to lead a long and happy life and die of natural causes. Because really, that's what life is about, right? Not a car accident, not, a, not something killing them, something, whatever. I mean, it's a human being also die of natural causes. And I and all, the Lord has honored that prayer for for many, 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 many years in my life. For many years in my life, that the, there was not one time that the Lord has not honored that prayer, and so I was so grateful that that the Lord honored that prayer. And uh, she was a sweet, pretty, sweet, pretty girl, very sweet little, very sweet little girl. And uh, poor Tatiana, I have to spend a lot of time with her because she's lost without Melania. They were the only two left. And uh, but Melania used to be very funny, very funny. She had great personality. They call my girls that, but she used to call for Uber. She said, "Chicken call for Uber." Yeah, I used to come in the pen, and she used to make a certain sound, which was which I called it Uber. So if she wanted to go from one roost to another during the day, right? I mean, she was certainly physically capable of it, but she wanted to be Ubered over. So she'd make a certain sound. And then I would have to come over to the roost and put my shoulder there. She'd climb on my shoulder, 
And then I'd say, bring it to the different roosts. And they said, you want to go in this one, Melania? And put one? she'd make a different type of sound. No, until I went to the roost that she wanted. Then she would get off my shoulder onto that roost. So I used to Uber her around. And uh, so we have wonderful, wonderful memories of her of her with that. And uh, But that is the, um, the, the, the reality of life. And I'm so grateful, thank God, that the good Lord has always honored that prayer for me and none of my animals if they've all gone home to him in a natural sense not that through an accident or through something killing them or what have you and uh, so so i have to after this show i got to go back out and sit with i've been sitting with uh, with tatiana and uh, keep her company the poor little girl so uh so that basically is it so now you know uh, so i'll never fix so i'll never so that's why i felt there was such an irony that six years to the day the same day was thanksgiving six years to the day that that melania laid an egg on my chest and six years later to the day almost well i shouldn't say to the same hour because i honestly don't know if she passed away at, at night or early that morning um but six years to the day uh she went home to the lord and um yes she's a beautiful 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 little girl beautiful little girl so uh there's nothing much more that you could do about that right so what i wanted to talk about today is that well just like my melania story 17 minutes into the show is that uh I I just want to add something else to that. Uh, If you don't pray, I don't, I'm not saying that you should, I'm I'm just making a suggestion. If you have animals in your life and you don't lift them to the Lord, I sincerely believe respectfully that you're doing yourself an injustice because the Bible tells us that God loves his entire creation. All right, and and if he's given you animals to steward in the steward in this life in some way shape or form even if they're farm animals if he's given you to steward them then you have the onus you have the responsibility and you have the accountability to take care of them and to and to love them and take care of them to the best that you can because you're going to have to answer to the Lord one day. And I don't care if it's a production farm or not, and maybe I'm ruffling somebody's feathers, no pun intended. But, but you know, you, you, you have to make decisions in life. You could either choose to make decisions in life that are going to please you or please the Lord. And if you walk with the Lord, then the decisions that you make will please you and please him so uh so i will leave it i will leave it at that so uh so that is it but anyway what i'm going to excuse me what i'm going to talk about today is engine vacuum and uh that's a subject that we i don't believe we ever really discussed on idle chatter and you have to remember that vacuum by definition vacuum is anything less than atmospheric pressure so if you if atmospheric pressure is one number and then you have a reading that's less than that then that's considered a vacuum so so anything less than atmospheric pressure is vacuum so 14.7 to 1 more or less is atmospheric pressure so excuse me 
Anything less than that is considered a vacuum, or lots of times in engineering we will call it a depression. Like when you're depressed, right? A depression. So it's less than vacuum, I mean, less than atmospheric pressure. And that's why boost pressure with a turbocharger or supercharger is over atmospheric pressure. So if you say that an engine has has 28 pounds of boost, all right, then that's actually 14 pounds over atmospheric pressure, even though the gauge reads 28, right? So it's it's like anything in life. It's like looking at uh, how much is a bushel of corn weigh versus a bushel of soybeans, right? Bushel of corn, I believe, is 56 pounds. A bushel of soybeans is 60 pounds. They're both called a bushel. So it's a metric. It's a reference. But everything is referenced off of atmospheric pressure. Now, what prompted me to do this is because, like anything, just like when you write a story, or well, write a story, I would write a technical article, uh, is that something in life or something triggers it, for, triggers it, and you say, well, that's a good subject to talk about. But what had happened was that a couple of months back, my Ford Fiesta, um, and it's a basic car. I mean, it's an SE, so it's a top-of-the-line Fiesta. But by <clears throat> there's no denying it's a basic car. The top-of-the-line Fiesta is not a Lincoln. Right? So it doesn't have all that stuff in it. But anyway, so the HVAC controls, right, are, are use blend their doors like everything does the past 40 years. And then what I noticed this past summer is that the blend the blend their doors would start to make a little bit of noise so i'd be riding and i'd hear and it's hard to quantify what that noise is by qualifying that quantify is that uh it's not a quantity i qualify what that noise is it almost sounds like at times that the one of the blend their doors did not open all of the way so maybe it's 99 percent open and it's trying to open the rest of the way <clears throat> now uh and you hear this, I don't want to say clicking, like almost like it's trying to open more. But interestingly enough, is that everything works fine. The air conditioner works fine. Excuse me, the heater works fine. The froster works fine. The vent works fine. Everything works fine. But you, <coughs> excuse me, but you hear this. Well, it, it doesn't sound right. I mean, I got two almost. 240,000 miles on the car I have history with it. I know what it sounds like that when a door opens or closes you should hear it open you could hear it close and then when you're riding you shouldn't hear it trying to do something like it's trying to fight itself open but interestingly enough if I shut the the, the shut the the HVAC off I hear the door close and it closes with a nice thud on it and uh, you hear it and it, it's quiet after that I mean so it's not like it's trying to close so it's it appears and I may be 100% wrong it appears like it's having trouble going fully open, but not not fully closed. So, like if it was a person, you'd say, "Well, you, you you're losing range of motion in your arm." So, now as an aside to that, also, <clears throat> I have, and I'm going to say, I'm not going to say the habit, because a habit could imply that it's not good, but. I go through the logic is that other than the air conditioner, the frost is off in the summertime if I'm riding or whatever, and I have the vent on in vent position, and I go to shut the car off, I always, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I better just stop this for a second if I mess this up. Hold on. So, okay, I'm back. I think it's some orange juice here. But I, I, 
I'll use the word habit. <clears throat> I make it a habit of leaving the control in whatever position it is. I'm just clear my throat again. Okay. <clears throat> I guess I'm back, right? I'm sorry about that. I don't know why I'm getting so much uh, phlegm in my throat. But anyway, so, like I said, I wouldn't do that with the air conditioner, and I wouldn't do that with the defroster, because the defrost revokes the air conditioner. And I will always put the fan back down to one. And so what that basically means is that if you look at the way a blend air door system works on almost anything, if not everything, right, even on a farm tractor or combine, if it uses a blend air door, uh, because it's all copied from the auto industry, <coughs> is that, <coughs> excuse me, that they... Uh, <coughs> What they do is they have a vacuum reservoir, a vacuum tank, usually underneath the dashboard. And then what will happen is that it'll store engine vacuum, and if the engine is off and you close it, then it uses that to move the doors. And lots of, well, I shouldn't say lots of times, on occasion, sometimes you'll have a failure in that vacuum tank where it's not ruptured, but the check valve starts to leak or doesn't close. And historically, if you have a blend air door system, and let's say you have it in your pickup truck, your car, and you're climbing a long grade on the highway, well, you put it to the floor. So that means, and we're going to discuss that, that the vacuum drops off dramatically, and the check valve doesn't close, then that canister, that vacuum tank will, will empty, and then the doors will change position. So historically, the way they are, most of them are set up, and I'm not going to say everybody, but most of them are set up, or most of the American cars. I know Fords and GMs used to be set up that way. I don't know about Chryslers, and I don't know about anything else, is that the default position would be to go to defrost. So let's say, arguably, you have the air conditioner on, and then you're going up a long hill, and you deplete the vacuum, and the check valve is not closing, and or you put it to the floor to pass someone, then all of a sudden the air movement goes from the air conditioner vent, using that scenario, <coughs> and goes to the defroster, and then when you release the throttle, and the engine vacuum increases, and the canister charges back up the vacuum canister, then it goes back to where it's supposed to be. And that could happen in a winter too, right? You could have the heat on, and you have the check valve. So my car has no sign of the check valve leaking, thank God, because it's, because then again, I mean, years ago, the cars were simple, all right? But then again, those you have to take the almost every car today, you have to take the dashboard completely out to get to these blend air doors in the vacuum canister. So it's no picnic. And I don't even know whether I would do that, to be quite honest with you. I don't have the time nor the inclination to do it. So thank God that's not that. I don't believe I have that problem. So anyway, but... So I so I'm, I'm I'm trying to diagnose this as well. The air is coming out of the right position. It's I'm I'm kind of gleaning that the airflow volume is correct. So in other words, if I have it on heat, the volume coming out of the floor is correct, <clears throat> more or less correct. So it's not like the door is partially opening or closing. The heat, everything is working properly. But it sounds like this these doors or some door under there doesn't want to, you know, like the last, uh, doesn't want to go all the way. So its range of motion in one direction seems to be 
challenged, and that came out of nowhere. Like I said, you know, I have 240,000 miles, so I have enough history with the car. It happened a couple of months ago. So anyway, inconsistently. And then, so I'm thinking about saying to myself, all right, well, what? And, and I'm just mentioning this because this is a diagnostic thought process. Well, thank God, you know, it's not changing direction. So, uh, so I note the vacuum canister is, is sound and the check valve is sound and that's all good. But I have 240,000 miles of really not moving the doors that much because if you have it in the vent position, I shut the car off, I have the fan on low, all right, not where I'm going to surge the circuit of the fan on high, then I go start the car back up. And that, yes, that vacuum canister is not going to hold vacuum for perpetuality right is that but if if it starts to leak out like a slow leak on a tire that door would close so if i left the car in the garage for three days and i had then maybe the vacuum canister had enough integrity integrity that it held it but maybe if the 250,000 miles it doesn't and it starts to leak out slowly and that door would eventually work itself closed or into a different position closed or open depending on what it is right and then when I started, the car would move back unbeknownst to me. I would hear nothing. So I said to myself, well, that means that by me not shutting it off on every time, that on every time I would get out of the car moving to the off position, that the door really doesn't have a lot of exercise. It would be like a hinge that you don't really open that much, right? Let's say, you know, like the back door. And I'd say, I never hardly go on that back door in the house. I don't open it much. It's a little bit stiff and squeaky. So I said to myself, well, what I'm going to basically do is I am going to start uh, shutting the the, uh, HVAC controls to off under a high vacuum condition when I get, I mean, when I'm ready to park the car, whether I'm going to the store or going someplace, and then when I start the engine, I'm going to wait for a high vacuum condition to turn it back on. And then I'm going to see if there's any di- any difference over time with that. I can't expect I'm going to do that once or twice. And if I am correct with that diagnostic, that that once or twice I'm going to break it loose or change it, increase its range of motion to where it should be. So I did start to do that. And so far, inconclusive, because like a lot of things when you're diagnosing, sometimes they fool you, Right they fool you and say oh look oh i'm so good look at this i got this is working great now right and uh and it really it really isn't because it's inconclusive it just happened to work well that time so what seems to be happening is that this protocol that i'm evoking seems to be lessening that scenario where sometimes now i don't even hear it make noise and then uh but then other times it makes a little bit of noise, but it doesn't seem to be it. the noise. I'll use the word as, I'm not going to use the word violent. I even though I'm using it as pronounced is probably the best, best, best uh, uh, exp- explanation for that the way it is. So that's what I'm doing. I'm working myself through it. So what is the take-home message here? Because we're going to talk about engine vacuum. Okay, the take-home message here is when you're diagnosing anything, it may have to do with vacuum, right? So let's say that you have your combine, and you say, well, I really don't raise this header up and down or move it this much range of motion, and now I'm starting to have a problem, is that something may just need to be worked in. So the fact of the matter is, 
for instance, let's say that if you, you're, you've been blessed and you're well-to-do, right, and uh, you have a, a, a beach house someplace, wherever, warm climate, so whatever you want to say, let's say Florida, right, and you live in Montana, and your farm is in Montana, and you have a beach house, and you leave a car down there, and it's always, whenever you go down there, it's 90 degrees, and you go in there, and you start the car, and the car starts very easily, beautiful, and then you say, well, I'm going to bring this car back to Montana, because I like it, for whatever reason, right, and then, and now you're out in Montana, and you say to yourself, all right, I'm going to go take that that vehicle, whatever, to town, and it's 20 degrees below zero or 20 degrees outside, maybe not 24, but it's much colder than 90 degrees than Florida when you used to go down there during the summer to run this car. So, so now the car has a problem, let's say, starting. So you can't use the thought process of saying, well, I had this car down in 10 years, and it always started right up as soon as I looked at the key. Well, but the scenario was different. You had it for 10 years down in Florida, and every time that you went to go start it, it was 90 degrees in the garage, all right? And now you have it in Montana at 9 degrees or 10 degrees or 10 below zero, whatever number you, substantially colder than 90 degrees Fahrenheit so you have to keep it so when you're diagnosing something it's just like looking at uh, you know up with up nutrient uptake on a plant right maybe you have nutrient tie-up just because you have the have you have the the nutrient in the soil if it's in the wrong ratio right and wrong base saturation then it's going to get tied up and not get in the plant so so the thing is that so just and that's why i'm telling you this to so use that protocol and say well how was this tractor used prior to this how was this car used how was this used how was this combine used how was this spray used? and also in agriculture we have <clears throat> probably unless you're feeding cattle i always bring it up because that's obviously 365 days out of the year that there's scenarios where certain equipment well when it's 20 below zero you're probably not going to run the combine right so you may have a problem or a condition looming in there that you never saw before because you never tried to start it at 20 below zero or move the hydraulics at 20 below zero or whatever i'm being i'm using zig ziglar i'm breaking it down to the ridiculous i'm making the examples ridiculous so that it makes sense to you so keep that in mind so the fact of the matter is that i said to myself well you know for so many years now i really haven't been moving those doors they seem to be closing fine i could hear with the thought of them closing but i've got this this you know the clicking noise and sounds like the doors wants to force itself or to probably probably has a stop under there probably is not getting to the stop so so that is the protocol i'm using and i will keep doing this <clears throat> because you're not going to undo 240,000 miles of doing something in five minutes all right so i'm gonna have to keep doing this and see whether i'm exercising that door and why i'm putting it under a high vacuum condition is because if that door is a little bit the range of motion is is is, is getting creaky right like a person who doesn't exercise then i want the highest vacuum differential to make it work to force it open all right, so now, <clears throat> 45, well, 35 minutes later into the show, I'm going to give you a brief tutorial on engine vacuum. All right, now, the thing is that to have, because, and I'm going to make some suggestions to you, 
and somebody's meowing. Okay, they stop meowing. Engine vacuum. And uh, uh, the suggestions that I'm going to make is that if you have a, if you don't have a vacuum gauge, you should invest in one. Don't have to be a $200 one. Invest in an analog vacuum gauge. And next time you're in town, get some sort of vacuum fitting that would be applicable to the vehicle that you're going to use as your educational educational tool and then get some vacuum hose and then what you could do is you could tape this vacuum gauge to the outside of the windshield or if you want you have enough hose you could bring it in to the into the interior passage whether it's a car or truck or what have you and we're going to talk about today you looking at a vacuum signal not for your heater doors even though it's the same thing but just getting more in harmony with engine vacuum now to have to create a vacuum in an engine you need to have a restriction so for all intents and purposes people would say or the community would say and they still say it today but there's a caveat attached to it now is that a diesel engine has has no vacuum now it's unlike a gasoline engine which is a spark ignition engine it has vacuum so a diesel engine has no vacuum and that's why most diesel engines use employ vacuum pumps so if you have let's say a ford pickup truck and that engine could come or that truck could come with a (coughs) excuse me a gasoline engine and a diesel engine they're not going to redesign the heater doors and everything inside because they work off a vacuum so what they would do is they would fit that engine with a vacuum mechanical vacuum pump or sometimes an electric vacuum pump but they would they would fit it with a excuse me with a vacuum pump right so but a diesel engine historically does not create vacuum in the sense that a spark ignition engine does because there is no throttle plate a diesel engine uh is is rpm is controlled by the amount of fuel that it injects versus where you have a spark ignition engine and it's actually throttled throttled meaning that it limits the airflow into the engine obviously the carburetor or fuel injection at that particular point has to match that the amount of air with the proper amount of fuel and that makes no difference whether it's on a chainsaw or whether it's on you know on a drag race car makes no difference so that same dynamic comes to play but there is a caveat that i spoke of with most with i with many i shouldn't say you can't say all with many tier four diesel engines let's say like a power stroke or a duramax or a cummins or whatever that they do use a throttle plate so so what do they use a throttle plate for so if you have a newer diesel engine and it has a throttle body on it all right so wherever you would know it's got a throttle body because you'd follow the air intake pipe into the engine and if you opened up that air intake pipe all right you would see there's a throttle plate there that that resembles what we would see on a gasoline engine so what is the purpose of that throttle plate well the purpose of the throttle plate on a diesel engine is to create a delta a difference in pressure between the intake and exhaust 
and that is for EGR, which is exhaust gas recirculation flow. So it needs to create this differential in pressure because remember we said a vacuum is anything less than atmospheric pressure. So it uses, so on a diesel engine, it uses that throttle plate that and this is a tfr diesel not an old pump line nozzle on your john deere all right it uses that to create this different to, to take advantage of the delta the differential between the pressures in the intake and exhaust system to flow the egr into the engine and that is you that is for the oxides of nitrogen control lots of times it's used during the regeneration of the diesel particulate filter when it converts the uh the part the particulate matter to ash and also to minimize the shutdown noise and shutter so if you get into a brand new diesel engine let's say because i'm a ford guy i'll say a power stroke what could be a duramax or a cummins you know when you would shut down an old pump line nozzle engine here and make that noise and the engine would shudder a little bit on shutdown and then when you go and you shut off the the newer diesels like that especially the light duty ones that have a throttle body on it is that they shut off like a gas motor like that you don't have that that extra that extra uh, shutter and noise so they shut off like a gas motor and that is because what they do is that they they quickly with the electric motor on the throttle plate they quickly throws close the throttle plate so you don't get that noise that shutter noise and that little bit of vibration and what have you and that's one of the reasons why these modern light electronically controlled let's leave it at that diesel engines that if they're fixed with a throttle plate, that they shut off like a gas engine. They don't shut off like a like a an older diesel. But keep in mind also that back of your head, right? Not now. That if you have some sort of problem with an engine and it thinks it's going being shut off, it's going to close the throttle plate. So. So the thing is that you have to recognize as an aside and nothing we're talking about today, that if you have a, a stalling problem, is the throttle plate thinking that the engine is shutting down and closing off the air, and that's why it's shutting down without that shutter and diesel, historical diesel noise. So that is what a throttle plate is used for on a diesel engine, but it still creates no vacuum now the thing basically is you say well hot rod how's it how's that happen well we have to go back a little bit further now is that for all intents and purposes there's three types of vacuum that you could identify on an engine there's what's called manifold vacuum and we're talking about a spark ignition engine manifold vacuum ported which is full-time vacuum manifold ported or what sometimes they call part-time vacuum, or what's called Venturi vacuum. Now, the thing is that what manifold vacuum is, it's the pressure differential, all right, because it's less than, that is below the throttle plate and read from the intake manifold. So now it could be carburetor or fuel-injected, because a fuel-injected engine, gasoline engine, has a throttle plate also so that is called manifold vacuum so for very simple right manifold vacuum it's full-time vacuum and it's being read 
in the intake manifold someplace. And what that basically means, it's on the intake manifold side of the throttle plates. All right. So even if the engine is idling, then you're reading the maximum amount of vacuum that is in that manifold. And I'm going to repeat it again. It is the differential between atmospheric pressure. Anything less than atmospheric pressure is manifold vacuum, is, is, is vacuum. And then when you have a boost gauge, which is the opposite of vacuum, it's high in, high in atmospheric pressure, it is read in the same spot right it's always that's why i say manifold pressure how much boost is really manifold pressure so that is what's called full-time vacuum then the the next type of vacuum that there is is what's called ported or part-time vacuum and that is vacuum that is sourced in other words is up where it's being read on the air intake side of the throttle plate so then that could be on a carbureted car or on a fuel injected car makes no difference as a throttle plate so manifold vacuum is read on the engine side of the throttle plate ported vacuum what some people call it timed vacuum or part or or part-time vacuum is read on the front side of the throttle plate all righty so it's read right before that. So what it's going to do, it's going to read the, the depression of the air rushing into the engine. That's part-time vacuum. And now, what? And those are historically read in North America in inches of mercury. Mercury is abbreviated as Hg. Now there's another type of vacuum that is that is there, and that is called venturi vacuum and historically well because we we came from carburetors right we didn't come from fuel injection so the evolutionary changes with carburetors and then what happened is that that is the vacuum the depression that's read in the venturi of the carburetor so it's the hourglass shape because you're going to have that effect where the air speeds up as it goes into the into into the smaller area and then slows back down again. So that's right in that Venturi. And the carburetor, many circuits on the carburetor work from the Venturi vacuum. Now, interestingly enough, Venturi vacuum is not read in inches of mercury. Venturi vacuum is read in inches of water, H2O. And if anybody's ever used a flow bench that has cylinder heads, which I had on a Superflow SF600, bought it brand new, loved it. All right, when you're testing a cylinder head, you're always reading it in inches of water. You are not reading it in inches of mercury. Now, keep in mind that mercury is heavier than water. So the fact that it's still a pressure differential but what you would basically do, you have a lot more resolution with water because the vacuum signal does not have to be as strong to be read. So it's like looking at it with a, looking at something with a magnifying glass or under a microscope, right? So if you if you if you look at uh, if you look at your hand and then look at your hand under a microscope, well, you see all the cells moving around and everything in there, right? So the thing is that so two types of scales to be read on inches of mercury and then inches of water <clears throat> and now in case you end up going on jeopardy 
which I don't even know if it's still in the air. So uh, one inch of water, so one inch of water equals approximately 0.0734 inches of mercury. So one inch of water is equal to 0.0, not 0.0734 inches of mercury. So could you read engine vacuum in, in inches of water? You most certainly could, but you would need a gauge that goes so high and then you would need enough of a calibration of that gauge to make it accurate, but you certainly could, all right? You certainly could. That's not going to, but it's not practical, all right? So that is why we read inches of inches of mercury for certain things and inches of water for others. Now, usually <clears throat> a scale that reads inches of water lots of times is called a, a, a manometer or a or they used to call it a Healy Magnet. If that was a term, I should have looked that up, but I haven't seen that for years. But uh, but it's a manometer. So if you buy a manometer, or if you look on your planter, and it's a vacuum planter, lots of times they'll be read, the manometer, the gauge on it will be inches of water, not inches of mercury, all right? So... So that's basically, in essence, like saying miles per hour versus kilometers per hour. And maybe that's a, a poor poor example because one is metric and one is English. But but it's, 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 it is an example that could probably resonate with everybody. Okay, so we have a quick recap. We have full-time vacuum. We have, which is manifold vacuum or full-time part-time vacuum, all right, which is part-time vacuum is sourced before the throttle plate gasoline or d i mean get carbureted or fuel injected and then we have venturi vacuum which is sourced inside which is the weakest signal and that is red in inches of water manometer whereas the others are red in inches of mercury so now why do i want you to buy a vacuum gauge red in inches of mercury not inches of water if you probably have one in your toolbox and you just have to get some vacuum hose, all right, and hook it up to a manifold vacuum source on an engine that you have, could be your pickup truck, could be whatever, it could be your, your, it's hard on an older gasoline farm tractor because they had nothing vacuum operated, all right, so I'm not going to tell you, you start to go, yeah, you could drill the intake manifold and the thread it and put a tap in there, but I don't want you doing that, you put metal into the motor, all right, so even a modern 2024 gasoline vehicle is going to have a place where you may have that where you could tee into to get a vac manifold vacuum signal <clears throat> so it has to be sourced in on the manifold side of the throttle plate and then why i want you to tee into it is because you don't want to disable if you unplug a port and say well i disabled the map sensor which is manifold app or the heater doors or whatever so if you put a t in there then it's going to be an unobtrusive way to get to to take a reading without without compromising anything on the engine and what i would like you for to do then is to drive around start the engine rev the engine up all right with your you know with the gas pedal throttle right and then drive around and then look at the engine vacuum 
on the gauge. Like I said, you could bring it. Lots of times it's best to use duct tape or something or shipping tape and just tape it to the windshield. You don't want to do this when it's raining or snowing. And then you could put the vacuum hose underneath the windshield wiper blade to hold that down as long as it doesn't crush it all right and kink it and then you could read and it's going to be very 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 enlightening for you and so what you'd want to do is start the engine and look at the vacuum all right if it's a we'll say it's a newer vehicle obviously and it's going to surge up in rpm and you see the vacuum goes up and then the rpm comes down the vacuum is going to come down and it's going to stabilize and then if it's a man automatic transmission put the end put the engine and transmission in gear put your foot on the brake right and you'll see that that the vacuum is going to drop off a little bit and then you could put it back in neutral and you could raise the ndr pm up slowly right then the vacuum on the engine is going to increase because well let me just let me not give you that answer yet then i want you to start to drive the vehicle and i don't mean just around the farmyard drive it take it out on the highway you know whack it to the floor just go on a nice straight flat road and then let the transmission shift and watch what happens to the vacuum signal when it goes into overdrive you could do some of the stick shift also all right on the manual transmission goes into overdrive all right you'll see how the vacuum drops off because the vacuum in an engine is going to be the forget about it well, assuming that the engine could seal up the good rings and everything but it is going to be the cumulative the result of the piston velocity and the throttle angle so if you remember back 15 20 minutes ago right i said i'm going to move my heater controls my hvac controls and my little ford under high vacuum conditions well when do you get high vacuum conditions when you have high piston velocity and minimal to no throttle opening so if you're going so if you're if you're racing i shouldn't say raising the engine speed up so let's um oh you pick up my fiesta that idles about 700 let's say 750 rpm so if i have it in neutral all right at 750 rpm i'm going to have x amount of vacuum now i slowly raise this throttle up open this throttle and i bring the engine up to 2000 rpm well what's going to happen two things are going to happen right my throttle plates are going to be open more greater right because right 2000 rpm versus idle my piston velocity is going to go higher but under no load all right because i'm in neutral no load to get to achieve 2000 rpm under no load has a lot less throttle opening than it would be 2000 rpm trying to climb a hill in the rocky mountains all right so so the piston velocity will exponentially increase sort of engine's ability to pump to pump air right is going to increase but my throttle opening only opened a very little off of idle so at that particular point the vacuum will go up now <clears throat> if you're driving down the road with it with a vehicle and now you're going to to uh, coast down right to a traffic light or to an intersection to a stop sign you'll see the vacuum gauge is going to go up all right now if you have a stick shift engine 
all right then what you could do manual transmission uh it's the old-fashioned called stick shift you could go you could say okay i'm going to coast to this to this stop at the end of my farm lane and and now i'm going to coast to this stop and neutral put it kick the trains into neutral and coast i'm going to kick the i'm going to keep the trains in 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 whatever gear i was in and press the clutch into the last minute or i'm going to downshift two gears and let the engine like a guy with a jake break right to pull down the engine and you're going to see what's going to happen with the vacuum all right and that's going to be a even though i would say 95 percent of you that are listening to this have a very good idea of the dynamics of engine vacuum it's going to be a real eye opener and it's going to be a very big eye opener for you especially with a modern engine that's what they call down they down speed they have 10 speed transmissions and axle ratios to get the rpm down right so if you're going to get the rpm down and you still have to move this load the vehicle being loaded it could be a pickup truck it could be a mustang it could be whatever and then you're going to have more throttle opening and that riding around with that vacuum gauge and doing different scenarios and seeing how the how the engine how the engine responds or the vacuum it creates responds is going to be a wonderful educational tool for you and it's going to be an educational tool for you and the thing is that what it's going to do is it's going to be a tool a rescue tool but not in your toolbox but in your mind because if you do happen to have a problem down the road with something like i'm having this little well issue because i'm very anal with what i think the heated doors aren't going full deflection to blend air doors all right and the thing is that is that you will be able to apply this thought process now the same thing if you have to if you have a gasoline engine let's say you have an EcoBoost ford pickup truck all right well you're going to see you're going to see the same thing happen you're going to see the engine is going to go from vacuum and then but then you'd have to buy a vacuum gauge or gauge that reads vacuum and boost pressure because then you're going to see it's going to transition from vacuum less than atmospheric pressure to equilibrium which is because zero on a vacuum gauge means equilibrium it means it, it means uh that that the that the that there is no depression it's equal to atmosphere and then as the turbocharger supercharger starts to spin then you're going to see it go transition from from zero up into some boost pressure which is a pressure higher than atmospheric and that is something i think last week or a week or two before in the show i may have said or or i planned on saying it i didn't say it who knows all right maybe said it on the radio show but uh anyway is that that is the fallacy of years back trying to or, or adjusting a carburetor mixture with a vacuum gauge yes you're reading manifold vacuum you're reading all of that right all right but the fact of the matter is that because it's inches of mercury not inches of water is that it is not as responsive as it needs to be 
and that's why you need to use a tune-up style tack. So if you had a manometer, if you had a vacuum, I mean, a vacuum gauge in reddit inches of water, then that's perfect to adjust the mixture on the carburetor because any slight change in the engine speed, that gauge is going to, is going to uh, reveal all right but on a, on a inches of mercury because mercury is heavier than water you could have that minute change and you're not going to see it because it's not enough just like when i built right drag race engines you put a hundred horsepower more into a guy's car that's drag racing he knows it he sees it at the et elapsed time he sees it the mile an hour track he sees it do you have a guy with a big cigarette boat that weighs and pushing this big heavy boat god knows how many tons through the water all right all that resistance you give him 100 horsepower he don't know it whatsoever nothing that's why those boats have three engines because you give him 100 horsepower he doesn't know it whatsoever right you give a guy in a motorcycle 100 horsepower he kills himself all right so the thing basically is so keep that in mind so that is why a traditional vacuum gauge because one that reads uh magnihelic was the word i was looking for but the one that reads uh a manometer reads inches of water is so so sensitive that you will be able to adjust the mixture and if you've ever had a a a gauge if you had multiple carburetors let's say you had an an older engine with multiple carburetors i mean from the factory not a farm tractor all right multiple carburetors you had a motorcycle they used to have what they call a carburetor synchronizer and what you would do is a gauge that you would put over the inlet of the carburetor because usually they were almost like trumpet horns those type of carburetors and uh, or even even if it wasn't that way they'd have an adapter and you'd put it over the inlet of the carburetor and you would adjust and they would call that synchronizing the carburetors and what they would basically do is you didn't use that to adjust the mixture they had a balance screw so when you stepped on the throttle if if the one carburetor opened up 10 degrees the other carburetor opened up 10 degrees and that was a manometer it read in inches of water so you would use that to synchronize to make sure that that linkage was synced together so when you stepped on the throttle that both throttle plates opened up the same amount all right and by using a manometer then they called it a carburetor synchronized a lot of guys with motorcycles had those people who had like had uh both like a core corvairs years ago had multiple carburetors or, or uh like british cars they had side draft carburetors and made no difference because they used to just affix it with like a, a strap to it all right is that you were synchronizing the throttle opening with that and you were looking at a manometer now before we get ready to close the input sense to this is that you say to yourself well <clears throat> how does a diesel engine work if there is no manifold vacuum well the fact of the matter is that there is manifold vacuum all right we're talking about old pump line nozzle diesel it's really not in the vacuum it's really not, not excuse me it's not in the manifold it is in the cylinder bore because 
the movement of the pistons and the sweeping of the pistons down in the bore with the sealing of the rings is causes a low pressure region and just like i was saying a little bit back earlier in the show is they're using a throttle plate to get the egr into the cylinders for the delta which is signed as a triangle differential between the between that so that the so inside the cylinder bore which is attached to the intake manifold right cylinder bore is that you will see a pressure differential all right and that pressure differential but it is not vacuum in the traditional sense that we are talking about with a gasoline engine manifold vacuum it is vacuum inside or it is a pressure differential i want to use the word vacuum because that's going to lead you astray because even a diesel engine all right even though it has an old pump line nozzle on an old john deere no turbocharger or anything is that the suction of the piston with the ring sealing against the bore creates a low pressure region in the bore and then the good lord through atmospheric pressure fills those cylinders so the same thing is happening on a 2024 gasoline engine all right but because we are throttling it we're controlling that flow rate all right and we're controlling its exposure to atmosphere so if you were to take a 2024 gasoline engine and you were to put it to the floor under load all right so um, you're not sitting there with 7,000 rpm in neutral so you went up a hill and you whacked it to the floor and it's right at the r once you open that get rid of that restriction that manifold vacuum goes down to almost zero and then that is why you would look for an exhaust restriction so if you have if you put the engine to the floor going up a hill and the vacuum didn't go to zero using a vacuum gauge and when you say vacuum gauge it's inches of mercury all right and stated four or five four or five inches of mercury all right then that engine has an exhaust restriction plugged catalytic inverter crushed pipe baffles coming apart inside the motor so a vacuum gauge is an essential tool is an essential tool that did not we've relegated it to uh, to the, to the antique pile but the way an engine works with pressure differential is still the same it's just that we've relegated to the to the antique pile and uh it really shouldn't be relegated to that but if you go and if you drive around with the vacuum gauge as i said taped to the windshield on your gasoline engine all right and and you will quickly see and be a big eye opener for you to say wow look at this i put this thing you know I, i'm going up this hill and then it went the torque converter locked up where transmission shifted up all right and <clears throat> the thing is that the vacuum really dropped down all right the rpm maybe went up a little bit so it's going to be a, <clears throat> a very 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 interesting it's going to be a lot of fun you're gonna have to buy yourself a plastic tea for 25 cents maybe it's a dollar now who knows i'm old school and you're going to buy some vacuum hoses or vacuum hose that fits on the gauge fits on that tea you're going to tee it in you're not going to hurt anything on the engine 
and you'd be surprised if you drive around that with a for different driving dynamics is that you will get an understanding of how an engine fills its cylinders and how the the pressure differential varies with the load and with the driving dynamics and the piston speed. So it's going to be the load, which is going to indicate how much the throttle is open, and it's going to be the piston speed, which is going to tell the whole story. All right? The whole story. And, you know, are you going to be able to fix something tomorrow with that? Maybe. I can't tell you if you can't. Maybe, right? But it's going to just break, bring you into harmony to understanding what's happening there carbureted or fuel injected makes no difference the mother nature that good lord created doesn't say oh this is a different different mother nature for for fuel injected versus carbureted the only thing that is different is diesel and the modern diesels specifically the light duty ones i don't know whether it's in a you know a, a, a big unit in, in a fent tractor or not but they may very well have a throttle plate there and that throttle plate again is used on a modern diesel to to ev to allow the egr system to function efficiently and it's also at times used to help the diesel particulate filter go through regen and that's why lots of times they're down on power when they're going because it's choking the engine out giving it just enough oxygen to build heat and then also to minimize the noise and that shutter when you shut the diesel engine off so i want to thank you so much for for listening today <clears throat> and i want to thank you for uh, listening about my story about melania and my animals and tatiana and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america you have a blessed blessed day as we transition from thanksgiving into christmas 